Today's episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Greetings, fans of the esoteric, and welcome to maybe the last chapter of Madame Magenta and the Arcati Killer. We don't know. No, because it's I'm reading this off a Kindle. Yes, so, and it, it just says percentage, doesn't it? Yes, yeah, so, so don't I don't know, know if there how many chapters are left. All right. This chapter is called, which is also a clue, it's the final countdown. Doo 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 boo boo. Yes, mm. that, that's, that's very expressive, isn't it? I'm glad you're singing these now. Well, you know, the drama's ratcheted up. Well, it, it is, and, and I, I think I think everyone's singing them in your head as they listen. But uh, it's nice to hear you actually do it. Well, you know, I like to bless people with my dulcet tone. If there is another chapter after this, it's probably just the, the entirety of Bohemian Rhapsody or something. <gasps> Let's hope so. Yes. All right, here we go. My phone! Duh! I can't believe I forgot about my phone! Ah, should we just remind them that uh, you have just said at the end of the last chapter, I take a couple of pictures on my phone to upload to Facebook. <laughs> That's so you true. Oh, had yes. your phone on you this entire time. Yes! Is that... Think what I could have done. Yes. Just rang the police. <laughs> <laughs> After taking a couple of pickies, I ring the police and tell them to get down here, <laughs> citing a bound and gagged Eldris and the escaped Arcati killer as excellent reasons for making haste. Can't believe I forgot about my What's phone. What an extraordinary omission that Gosh, was. this could have been wrapped up chapters ago. I know. But what would be the fun in that? No, quite. I then switch my phone to video and record Elspeth losing her rag with Fazir. Fazir refuses to leave the pig field after a short, shouted exchange between the newly gifted pig whisperer and Elspeth. Greg is sent in to retrieve him, and to my delight, the baldy twat effectively does half our work for us. Greg climbs over the fence and aggressively frog marches Fazir to the gate that joins the pig field to the grounds of security sense. Upon reaching it, still gripping Fazir's elbow, Greg unlatches the gate, which means that Gaynor doesn't have to muster up any powerful poltergeist juice to affect the same result, and firmly guides his errant charge through, walking him onto the driveway and back in the direction of the car park and the house. In doing so, the gate is not only left open, but at least five minutes have been added to the time it's taking them to leave. Excellent! Throughout, I'm keeping an eye on the pigs. Gaynor must be flitting about like a mad thing, putting the ghostly willies well and truly up the poor porkies. Before Fazir and Greg are even back at the car park, the pigs have congregated in a frantic porcine mosh pit in the middle of the field, their squeals quickly rising in pitch and intensity. At one point on their short journey to the car, Fazir takes a keen interest in the increasingly evident distress of the pigs and attempts to get closer to the fence for a proper pig telepath confab. But Greg yanks him back. That's a lot of... That was a difficult paragraph to a say. A proper that. pig telepath confab. Try saying that after a few... What, a few Super Mario Brothers or whatever the cocktail was that we invented in the first uh, season. I have no idea what you were talking we about. We used to do cocktails in the first season. Super Mario? I'm sure we invented... That's a game, it's not a cocktail. Oh, dear. Bernard, right. stop inventing things. They reach the car in which Elspeth is already sitting. Fazir reluctantly climbs in the back and Greg gets behind the wheel. The engine growls into life and they set off. Greg speedily, and precisely of course, manoeuvring out of the car park. 
At this point, the broiling mass of hysterical, shrieking pigs, one hell of a sight, I can tell you, picks a direction to flee in. Or rather, the direction is picked for them by Gaynor. As planned, that direction is the open gate. Bravo, Gaynor, I crow, watching the thundering pink regiment from my new position. Gosh, what a lot of pig descriptions. <laughs> You've been really visiting thesaurus.com on this one, haven't you? <laughs> Wonderful stuff. Thundering pink regiment from my new position, which is a bench situated at the front left of the property. It's extremely visible to anyone glancing at the house, but I don't think it matters at this point. Plus, the house and immediate surroundings sit on a slightly elevated bank that allows me a decent vantage point to witness the shenanigans, and there's no way I'm missing that. The car lurches to a stop, barely 20 feet up the driveway, hemmed in by a sea of pig flesh. I laugh in delight. <laughs> my hastily fudged plan appears to have worked. I have no idea how long it takes for police to respond to a call, but surely this only needs to last a few more minutes. Keep going, Gaynor, I whisper. Greg gets out of the car and starts trying to shoo the frantic piggies away, being jostled most thoroughly by muscular... <laughs> Another one. Yeah, you, go on, let's hear what this one is. Being what, what's, jostled. He, what's he being jostled by? <laughs> being jostled most thoroughly by muscular slabs of living pork. <laughs> ah. Wonderful. Being jostled most thoroughly by muscular slabs of living pork in the process. I zoom in on the action with my phone. Fazir uses this as an opportunity to also remove himself from the car. With a marked air of distraction, he wades far into the midst of the herd, his gaze wandering from pig to pig. I know from experience that although Fazir will be able to understand why the pigs are alarmed from what they're thinking and feeling and from how they communicate within the herd, they won't listen to anything he says. Communication with most animals is a fairly one-way process due to them having zero interest in anything outside their own species. The exception, of course, being dogs. Oh, and capybaras. Oh, yes, that's true, yes. Dr. Doolittle was an entirely inaccurate depiction of human-animal relationships. He may have been able to talk to the animals and be understood by the animals, but they wouldn't have given two shits about what he actually had to say. Fazir might not be automatically despised by nature's creatures now that the curse is lifted, but I hope he doesn't expect to be embraced by them, as that sure as hell ain't gonna happen. As expected, I hear a faint wail of pain, and probably disappointment, as Fazir gets a foot stomped by a stampeding trotter. Reeling, he limps off to the side of the driveway and flops down onto a spare patch of grass, grabbing at his injured extremity. The click of a door opening draws my attention back to the car. It's Elspeth. I feel the thrum of her power even from this distance, and the focus on my camera phone blurs. It's much, much stronger than before. She must be collecting her forces to deal with the pig problem. But she's brought something else to the fore besides her grossly engorged powers. Oh boy, I murmur. Elspeth stands before the pigs, all of whom have stopped squealing. An unnatural hush descends. Any pigs not facing her shuffle round like subjects before their queen. Oh boy, I repeat, and tap at the camera display in an attempt to focus the picture. And then I stop, turn it off, and return it to my pocket. I don't want to accidentally film a snuff movie. Because Elspeth has clearly failed to realise that she took on the curse when she took on my powers. A grossly engorged curse at that to go with grossly engorged powers. 
Elspeth faces the unbroken wall of pigs. Fifty pigs, all silent, all still. Fifty pigs, sensing a profound enemy in their midst. The air is thick with unrealized violence. Elspeth looks round her, finally understanding the expression in the dozens upon dozens of tiny eyes that are fixed upon her. Fifty pairs of rage-filled, maddened eyes. And then, as one, fifty pigs attack. Goodness me. There it is, the hubris hoisted by her own petard. Yes. She absorbed the curse as yes. well. Yes. So that curse that Fizzy had all the way at the back at the beginning that looked like a completely pointless element of the plot was in fact not pointless. Yes. Yes. There we go. What a what a what a rewarding payoff. You know what well the, done, my what's dear. left? The epilogue. The epilogue. So there's no more chapter titles. I think probably we should do the epilogue. Oh, this is so sad, Bernard. This is the end of book two. And it's the last book I've written. I'm going to have to write another bloody one. You're going to have to get on with it, oh, aren't you? Oh, God. You know, I do have that idea where I, I allow the listeners to guide each chapter. So I write a new chapter each month. Ah, yes. Yes. Anyway, we should do the epilogue. Interesting. Epilogue. Perhaps I shouldn't have exclaimed pig in hell at the top of my voice as Elspeth faced being mauled and trampled to death, but I just couldn't stop myself. In my defence, she'd just performed a bunch of black magic on me and revealed herself to be the mastermind behind the murder of several innocent women, so you know. She doesn't deserve that much consideration, does she? And it's not like she actually died. It turns out she's pretty nifty on her feet. The old bat made her way back into that car before I'd even finished my pertinent, if insensitive, exclamation. Being safely ensconced in a metal shell didn't stop the pigs, though. They attacked that car like WWE wrestlers, slamming face first into a balsa wood chair. And who knew pigs could jump? And so high! <laughs> Luckily for Elspeth, the police arrived around ten minutes into the attack, honking their horns until they finally scattered. I noticed there was a reluctance to get out of the police cars and face the frenzied pigs. Elspeth wasn't arrested immediately. They had to wait for a fire engine to cut her out of the near-pulverised car first, and then they arrested her. Greg and Fazir had scarpered during the melee. The police picked Greg up trying to hitch a ride on a nearby road. Eldris later told me they didn't find Fazir. I don't know if or how he managed to find his way home, but I suspect he might still be scampering around the woodlands of North London with a bluebird on his shoulder. In any case, I'm glad he escaped another run-in with the law. Maybe we're even now. I told the police almost everything, as did Bernard. We left out ghosts and angels, but we still sounded totally nuts. And for a while, it looked like we might be implicated in the Arcati killings. It was a worrying few days, especially as Elspeth and Greg were refusing to say a word. But within the week, the police had searched Elspeth and Roger's townhouse and found some sort of voodoo laboratory on the top floor that was heaving with forensic evidence. Using that as leverage, Roger was encouraged to spill sufficient beans for the police to piece a few more things together, and Bernard and I were exonerated. The case against Elspeth and Grigg became watertight, not to mention utterly sensational. The media loved it and somehow found out about my involvement, and consequently, my profile went nuclear. My online sales went through the roof, and I've even been offered a weekly slot on daytime telly. They want me to communicate with viewers' pets, and I know I can't actually do it anymore, but it hardly matters, does it? There's more half-cocked bollocks on daytime telly than in a testicular care unit. That was very hard to say, Bernard. <laughs> yes.
So it's all turned out very well, apart from for the dead women, of course. But at least they've found justice. I assume the women's spirits would be able to rest easy once Elspeth and Greg were caught, but I had an interesting chat with Eldris the other day, which suggested otherwise. We met at the greasy calf again. This time, it had been Eldris who called to arrange the meeting. I'd already given all of my statements and such like. This was an... Gosh, sorry. I'd already given all my statements. This was in an unofficial capacity. I can't talk to animals anymore. I can't be an informant for you, I said. I felt a bit sheepish referring to my past powers. It's like I've been caught smoking and had my prefect badge taken away. And I've never been a prefect. I suppose I just feel a bit ordinary now. I could tell Eldris had changed too. It seemed I wasn't the only one having to look at the world with new eyes. Although while my vision had been diminished, his had been significantly expanded. I don't want your help. He said gruffly. Some things don't change. I came to tell you about Elspeth. I looked up in surprise. Oh? What is it? Where is she now, anyway? Eldris cleared his throat. <clears throat> In a secure unit. She's being assessed. But she's... She's being allowed to write as part of the assessment and rehabilitation process. And because she asked if she could, I've brought some of it. Hang on. Eldris unclipped his briefcase and lifted out a hefty wadge of papers, roughly three inches thick. Is that... I asked, incredulous. Eldris nodded. But she's only been behind bars a couple of months. She's been writing non-stop. She's fast. I can see that. She says that it's not her own words that she's been dictated to. I put a hand out to take the papers, and Eldris handed them over. They were covered in dense, spidery handwriting, each page double-sided with the occasional diagram. One page appeared to be devoted to the art of British tea-making, with particular emphasis on biscuits. Another had a line drawing of the Dalai Lama sitting on a cloud. Even considering the occasional picture, it was an incredible amount of work. Who? Who would be dictating to her? Eldris leaned forward and tapped his fingers on the front page of the manuscript, which I had thus far ignored. I turned to it. It was a title page, with just a single line of text scrawled across the middle of the page. I looked up at Eldris with wide eyes, and then back at the paper to read aloud, a curious melange of emotions stirring my guts. Tribble's Guide to Enlightenment, Part 1 of 42, by Gaynor Tribble, deceased. The end! That's the end of the book. The end, so Gaynor got her wish. She got her wish. And she's also apparently permanently haunting Elspeth now, which is... Well, uh, probably only until the end of 42 volumes. Oh, that's true. And then she'll have done what she needed to do and she can move on. And, and they appear to be working quite efficiently, the two of them. Quick work. Yes. Yes, who knows what kind of grip Gaynor has on her that she's that Elspeth is allowing this to happen. Yes. It's very Marvel, isn't it, don't you think? In this secure unit, Elspeth stuck in a sort of, I don't know, fortified cell because of her powers. It uh, definitely very much. I mean, this does feel, you, you know, you meeting El El Eldris in a, in a greasy calf. It's very much got the feel of a post-credit sequence. It has. It? They're meeting shawarma in a diner. Yes. In, what is it? They're eating shawarma in, in New York at the end of Avengers. That's they? it. Yes. We've been watching a lot of <laughs> A lot of Marvel films. Yes. Anyway, this is a bit sad, isn't it? Yes. Is, that an, is this an anti-climax, Bernard? I don't think so. We had a we had a dramatic, uh, porcine climax, and then uh, we did, and then uh, and then and then a nice little post post credit scene here. Yes. Well, yes. I suppose we should ask the listeners 
what you would like us to do next? What What's next for Magenta and Bernard? Well, there's that idea I broached, isn't there? Go so, on. Do, would you like to quickly explain that idea? So basically, it involves a hell of a lot of work for me. So I'm not I'm not over the moon about it. But I would write a chapter a week, Bernard. Right. And after each chapter, I would solicit ideas from my audience. God help us. And that would influence the, the direction of the next chapter. So then I'd write the next chapter with their ideas in mind. That's genius. And also, it means you, you, you would not be held accountable for any bizarre inconsistencies in the plot. Yes. I mean, I might have to interfere at times if it seems like it's going to go on forever and ever, which it very well might do. It could do, yes. But yes. I will write the first chapter at some point. We're going to have a little holiday, aren't we, Bernard? Yes, I think so. Just a couple of weeks. Don't worry. And uh, and um, oh, I think I think we're going to be voices in um, the other Long Cat production. Oh yes, that's We've true. We've been employed as voice actors in the Ballad of Anne and Mary, which you can now subscribe to. If you search for the Ballad of Anne and Mary, you can subscribe now. And there's a lovely little trailer. It's a wonderful sounding thing, pirate musical. But it's not out yet, is it? It's not out yet, but there's a trailer you can hear. But we're recording our bits. I'm playing Moll. Yes. Yes, yes. And she's the um the the sort uh, the owner of Mole King's Coffee House, a notorious drinking, whoring and gambling den. I don't know why they thought of me. I can't imagine. Mm. Who are you playing, Bernard? Oh, I think I'm playing various odds and sods throughout. Lovely. All right, so keep an ear out for that. And keep subscribed. We'll have more for you soon. Yes, and uh, I'll interact with you in the meantime, if I must. <laughs> uh, do go to Twitter, twitter.com, for at Madame Magenta UK, in order to have a, you know, have a confab with me. Yes. A porcine confab. <laughs> <laughs> All right, keep listening. Listen again. Rewind it. Go, go back to the beginning. Start yes, again. you don't have to rewind. No, no technology. Oh, and actually this book, if you actually want to read it now, I don't know why you would, but if you do, you can actually buy this book you on, can on Amazon. Yes. And then you can rate it and that would be nice. It's only one ninety nine. <laughs> Am I going on a bit, Bernard? Uh, I just don't want it to end. I know, we're all I having a lovely time, end. aren't we? It's well, so we'll, sad. We'll all be back soon. Yes. Goodbye, my lovely listeners. For a couple of weeks, at least. Goodbye. The Fable and Folly Network, where fiction producers flourish. Dum Dums and Dice would like to welcome you to the grim darkness of the 41st millennium in The Valentine Heresy, an actual play podcast set in the Genesis adaptation of Warhammer 40,000's Dark Heresy RPG. Newly promoted Inquisitor Lucius Valentine has received visions of the death of the immortal God Emperor. With few options before him, he teams up with hive-bred criminal siblings Lyric and Alto. Together, they must defeat a cabal of shadowy foes to save the Emperor and the Imperium. Can this trio of unlikely heroes survive in a galaxy where there is only war? The Emperor is going to die in a year. My job is to make sure the Emperor doesn't die. Because if the Emperor dies, the Astronomicon goes out. And the only thing keeping the Imperium alive is the fact that we have a very large navy and a very large army and space marines, and they shoot everyone. It's delightful. Praise the Emperor. Thanks for that. But if the Astronomicon goes out, we have no navy, 
We have no ability to defend ourselves. And the Xenos and Chaos will overrun us instantly because there will be no defense. So every planet will turn out like Galen's glory? And that would be the best case scenario. Which is why we need to keep the Emperor on his throne. I spit in my palm and put my hand out for a handshake. Am I supposed to do something in return? Is this, I'm sorry, I just don't know what this is. Alto's like, yeah, like this. He spits in his hand and puts it out towards you as well. Then I spit in both palms and shake their hands separately. <laughs> we have an inquisitorial band. Warhammer 40,000, the Valentine Heresy. Available now.